always, we're being joined, or, or, or as always, uh, I want to thank everybody for hopping on to the program. Um, I just want to make sure, uh, before we start, let you guys know, Neil will be on the program, going to join us a little bit later. Um, I'm sure Neil's getting his coffee and getting everything ready. But I want to thank Steeler fans for supporting the program and hopping on to the show. I want to thank Steelers Freak for jumping in already with the hot take and the hot question. So big up the Steelers freak. Before we jump into the program, I want to say if you want to find the program in podcast form, make sure you go to your most popular podcast feeder and do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams or the new standard Steelers and Neil Kulong. Um, also, if you want to join the program and experience the show live and not just get the audio, uh, go to YouTube and do a search for the new standard. And please like and subscribe to the show. Also want to thank everybody out there uh, for just supporting the program each and every week. Um, also want to wish everybody out there a safe Independence Day weekend. Uh, please do it safely if you're doing with fireworks and stuff and things of that nature. Uh, make sure you're safe in, in terms of how you do that. Big up to Ollie Howard Species 5618. Um, and in this particular show, and I want to wait a little bit uh, because I know Neil is hopping on and I definitely want to get his perspective uh, given the fact that he has some inside intel on how play calling is done uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I want to wait in terms of that. Um, but also, uh, before we do that, I want to talk about some other things in terms of the Steelers, in terms of some things that I wanted to talk about on the show. So I'll hop to that first uh, before we talk about the main topic of the show, which is, is Tomlin really giving up play calling duties and and I want to jump into a couple of rankings that came out this week um, Ted Wynn of the Athletic ranked the Steelers skill positions and ESPN ranked the Steelers roster overall and I want to jump into that first before we talk about uh, the, the, the skill positions and and let me pull the article up here. ESPN had the Steelers roster rated number 22 in the National Football League. And, and big up to Ali Howard Species when he said, be safe, no more Jason Pierre Pauls, please. Meaning do not have or do not do anything stupid when it comes to fireworks. And as I scroll through, ESPN's list, ESPN had the Steelers at 22nd. And before I give you my thoughts and my perspective on that, I want to give you uh, how they ranked uh, the AFC North. So if you if I scroll through here, the number one roster in the AFC North, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is the Cleveland Browns. They had the Cleveland Browns at six. And they said that the biggest strength of the Cleveland Browns, pick up the mail, is that few teams have invested more in their offensive line than the Browns, and few teams have a better running back room than Cleveland. 
The result is one of the most devastating rushing attacks in the NFL. The Browns have averaged 4.8 yards per rushing attempt the past two seasons under coach Kevin Stepnowski. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that is their strength. So the number one roster in the division, according to ESPN, is the Cleveland Browns. And I think we would all probably agree with that. I think the biggest question for the Cleveland Browns right now is what is going to be the playing status of Deshaun Watson? If Deshaun Watson comes back with their roster, they're going to be tough. The second best roster in a division is the Cincinnati Bengals. And according to ESPN, they said Cincinnati's passing game blossomed with Burrow and Chase. Vertical plays were Burrow's Achilles heels and rookie as he completed just nine of 48 attempts, a 20 plus throwing to Chase alone. Burrow completed 15 of 34. And that connection was absolutely devastating. I think we can agree. I think you look at the skill positions of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, that wide receiver room is absolutely devastating. Big up to Reginald Rivers. Thank you for hopping in. Big up to everybody in Bartlett, Tennessee. Their skill positions are devastating. You put Mixon, you put Chase, you put Burrow, uh, Tyler Boyd. Uh, that is a devastating Usama um, if he comes back. Or maybe Usama got traded. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, devastating skill positions. So the number one roster in terms of ESPN, the AFC North, is Cleveland at six, which is six overall in the National Football League, Cincinnati at eight. Um, and as I scroll through here again, um, again, the Steelers, and then they have the Baltimore Ravens at 12. So the rankings are six, eight, and 12. And they said they cited that the biggest strength of the Baltimore Ravens uh, is that they're not their secondary. They're talking about how good their secondary, that it was hit with injury, but they're talking about their trio of safeties. They're talking about their depth when everybody comes back in terms of their secondary. And they're talking about, their versatility on defense. And last but not least, the Pittsburgh Steelers are ranked 22. And so when I looked at this at first, I thought with just a general fanboy perspective that ESPN is hating. You know, I went to straight uh, defensive Steeler fan mode and said ESPN is hating. But are they hating? And before I jump into my thoughts on what they cited as the biggest strengths and weaknesses of the Steelers, I want to pose this question to you guys in the chat and to everybody listening to the program. Are the rankings fair? Browns 6, Bengals 8, Ravens 12, and Steelers 22. Give me your thoughts in the chat. Do you think those rankings from an NFL perspective are legitimate? And secondly, do you think the Steelers have, according to ESPN, the worst roster in the AFC North? 
Now, taking a step back, when you add in the quarterback position, now this is assuming that Deshaun Watson is going to play this year. If Deshaun Watson plays this year, Mitch Trubisky is the worst quarterback, starting quarterback, and I'm assuming that Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter. It is not going to be Kenny Pickett because if Kenny Pickett starts, the Steelers will not make the playoffs. You do not want a rookie starting, not with this roster. And so if Deshaun Watson is suspended, or if he plays, let's say, he Mitch Trubisky is the worst quarterback in the division. If Deshaun Watson gets suspended for a substantial amount of time, which it seems as if it's alluding to, um, the Steelers, Mitch Trubisky is the third best quarter, the third best quarterback in the division. So with that being said, when you balance out the importance of the quarterback position, just in how you're looking at a roster and how good a roster is, because you have a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky, it's going to put you very low in terms of a roster ranking. Also, I think the reason why, well, let me just say this before I get into my comments. Let me just jump into what ESPN said. And they said the following. It's hard to find many better duos on the defensive front than T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward. Over the past three seasons, both Watt and Hayward rank among the top three players at their respective positions in both quarterback pressures and run stops. Their abilities to make impact plays regardless of the situation is at the center of the Pittsburgh's defensive success over the last three years. Biggest weaknesses. The Steelers' offensive line has deteriorated from a unit that top, that five-plus years ago was one of the best in the league under Mike Munchak. Now it profiles closer to the bottom of the league. This group was aided in pass protection by Ben Roethlisberger's 2.2 second average time to throw over the past two seasons, fastest in the NFL, making, however, it fares in what should be a difference-looking 2022 offense something worth monitoring. X factors. Akilah Witherspoon signed to remain in the Pittsburgh doesn't scream number one outside corner, but that's what the Steelers are counting on for him to be. From week 13 through the end of the season, Witherspoon allowed a passer rating of just 20.2 on throws into his coverage. His play has been hot and cold throughout his five-year career, but the Steelers will be hoping he carries that momentum into 2022. So, and big up to Steeler Y360 Nation, North Side in the House, Manchester, baby, 15233. Let's go. And before I, I give my thoughts on the roster, let me just say, let me just read off what ESPN has as the suspected starting offense and defense for the Steelers at the quarterback position. Mitch Trubisky, Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, Dan Moore Jr., Dotson, Cole, 
James Daniels, Chucks Okorafor. On the defensive side, Cam Hayward, Chris Warmley, Tyson Alulu, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, Miles Jack, Devin Bush, Akilla Witherspoon, Levi Wallace, Cameron Sutton, Minka Fitzpatrick, Terrell Edwards. Now, I don't disagree with the 22nd. I think when you look at the Steelers roster, particularly when you look at the offensive line and that is completely retooled and the fact that you're starting a quarterback in a 32-team league that is probably in the bottom third, that automatically makes your roster a bottom third roster. You know, I'm honestly surprised that they have the Steeler roster at 22nd. Some teams that they have below them are Arizona, the New York Jets, Detroit Lions, New York Giants. When you're close to the Jets in roster, and when you look at the roster on the offensive side, I think Mel said it best. It is unproven. It is absolutely unproven. And when you look at it, and I say the names, Trubisky, Harris, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Pickens, Fryermuth, none of those guys from a skill perspective, position perspective, is one of the best players in the National Football League at their position. You look at the offensive line. Moore Jr., Dotson, Cole, Daniels, Chuck Sikorafor, uh Green, None of those guys scream best at their position in the National Football League. You have on the offensive side of football, no one, maybe Najee Harris. And when you compare Najee Harris to the rest of the running backs of the AFC North, Pickens, the Cleveland running backs, the running back room, you know, in Baltimore, hell, uh, Lamar Jackson as a running back. Najee doesn't rank high as well either. So when you're ranking a roster and you're looking at the offensive side of the ball, um, it's got to be low. You have no pro Bowl caliber players. And when you look at the offensive side of the roster, you have no particular player on the roster on the offensive side of football, who is best in the division. There's no way you could say that Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and Pickens are the best in the division at their positions. So when you think of it that way, it's surprising that it's 22. And the reason why it's 22 is because of Cam Hayward, and T.J. Watt, and Minka Fitzpatrick. Those three guys, and this is a great juxtaposition when I'm talking about a roster and I'm talking about how it gets ranked. The reason why Buffalo is probably number one at the the height of the National Football League in terms of roster is Diggs. You've got Diggs, you've got the quarterback. You've got uh, the outstanding cornerback, and you've got some outstanding guys on both sides of the ball. 
when you look at the Steelers' defense, the guys that raised the tide, you know, are T.J. Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick. That's it. Because even on the defensive side of the ball, Warmly, Alu-Alu, Highsmith, Jack, Bush, Witherspoon, Wallace, Cam Sutton, Edmonds, those guys are just guys. And Hayward, the scheme, T.J. Watt, and Minka raised the tide. So if you didn't have those guys, and of course we can't play the if you didn't have those guys, you can't play that game. But those are the guys that raised the tide for this football team. That's why, in some respects, I'm extremely excited about this particular this particular football team in this year. I really want to see uh, the coaching of this team. I want to see how this team progresses and improves over time. I want to see this team grow. I want to see the young guys grow because I think if they get the offensive line piece right, they're on and popping. They're on and popping. So before I jump into the skill position rankings from Ted Wynn from The Athletic, I do want to get you guys in the chat giving your perspective on do you think the rankings are fair that ESPN had? 6, 8, 12, and 22. I think they're spot on. And I, and, I, and I think that the rankings are so low for the Steelers because the Steelers don't have any guys, any studs, except for possibly Najee on the offensive side of the football. They don't have one guy on the offense that you would consider the best in the division. So when you look at it on paper, the roster is going to be ranked fairly low. Now, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. That doesn't mean that guys won't play above what we think they are and what they're going to play. It doesn't mean that the coaching staff won't put them in the proper scheme, in the proper position to make plays. It doesn't mean that guys won't play over their head. It doesn't mean that when guys have an opportunity to step out and start, that they won't become the guys and, and, and be the guy. So you all you always have to take it with a grain of salt, and you have to just wait and see and figure. And the time will tell when you when the season is played what guys will be. But when you just look at it on paper, it's pretty tough. And let me jump into the comment from, from Mel. He says, sure, they are fair when you're just looking at paper. Yes, on paper, the Steelers have the worst roster. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, you know, especially when you look at Cleveland. Cleveland is solid at the quarterback position if Watson plays. They're good at wide receiver. They're good at running back. They have a solid tight ends. They're outstanding on the offensive line. They're solid at corner, and they have an elite pass rusher. I mean, they have an elite quarterback, an elite corners, an elite pass rusher, and an elite offensive line. I mean, that alone. But I think when you look at this stuff on paper, 
I think which raises it really high and how they do these rankings is just the quarterback position. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's just the quarterback position. And Mel also said, I agree with you coaching-wise. Our offensive roster is unproven. When you look at the coaching, I think the two best coaches in the division are clearly uh, Wags Har Harbaugh and, and, and Tomlin. Those are the two best coaches in the division. Let me see another, uh, any other, uh, and, and, and Mal said it best as well. And we might end the discussion on that comment. No home run hitters on offense. And he's absolutely right. There are no home run hitters on offense. No home run hitters. And Ali Howard Species said, I live behind enemy lines. The entire world besides Steeler fans know Big Ben was holding us back, uh, singing his best, doing his best Eli Manning impersonation. Yeah, Ben was not very good last year. Uh, and big up to Claude Bishop. Uh, and Claude, is this is this Claude that I talked to a couple of weeks ago? If it is, uh, say yes in the chat. Big up to Claude. Uh, if it is Claude, uh, uh, thank you for the participation. And uh, joining us, my man, my mellow, get on the mic because I know you eat jello. What's up, Neil? Nothing. I'm just uh, off on our schedule, apparently. <laughs> hey, man, no worries. It is. And big up to my guy, Claude. Big up to my man, Claude. Dallas Cowboy fan from Philadelphia. So you know Claude is crazy. So big up to Claude. Uh, so, Neil, we were talking about before we jump back into the main topic of the show, and thank you for hopping on. No worries, big guy. It's 4th of July weekend. I know you got some barbecue on the grill. I know you're about to, to do it really well this weekend. Laying, so laying the stuff out. <laughs> yeah, It was all scheduled for an 11 a.m. Central start time here. My bad. No, no worries. No worries, man. No worries. Um, and big up to Mel. See Mel giving your props. Neil, the man, the myth, the legend. That's right, Mel. And uh, what do you what what so what's what's on the Fourth of July menu for you? My my wife is just doing desserts. What you got going in the That's great state of Minnesota? I need desserts. No, I've I've got uh, I've got some sirloin burgers that are going to go tonight, and we'll probably do the the traditional hamburger hot dog thing Saturday and Sunday, and then I've got steaks set up for Monday. That might get changed to Sunday though. We'll we'll see. Depends on how much I want them at the time and what we're doing. We have. Uh, Tentative plans, a couple different things going on. Kind of depends on uh, when we'll be back. Um, I did happen to just read about a, a potato salad recall at the local grocery store, which is borderline <laughs> nice. suspicion of terrorism in my mind. If you don't have potato salad on the 4th of July, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I need some dessert, uh, though. Send me some pics of that at least. Yes, I will. So we, we we started off the program talking about ESPN's roster ranking of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're going to jump back into the main topic of the program because we got Neil on about is Tomlin giving up play calling duties. And according to ESPN, they ranked the rosters of the AFC North teams as follow. Cleveland was ranked sixth overall in the National Football League. And this is National Football League rankings. Uh, Baltimore, excuse me, Cincinnati was eight. Baltimore was eight. 12. And the Pittsburgh Steelers were 22nd. I surmise that 
the Steelers were that low. One, because they probably, if Watson plays, and it's looking like Watson may not play this season, but if and when he does play, the Steelers have the worst quarterback in the division, and they have absolutely no home run hitters on offense. On the defensive side of the ball, the reason why I thought that they were even as high as 22nd was because they arguably have three guys who could be considered the best at their position in the National Football League. And Cam, the man, Super TJ, and Minka, the highest paid safety in NFL history. And that is the reason why uh, – what, what's the what's the cliche? I'm terrible with cliche about something, the water rises, the tide, and it brings the boats <laughs> up and – High tide I, I, rises all ships. Yes, yes. See, that's, I think how that's bad what you're going I, for there. Yes, that's how bad I am on cliches. So I think those three players made the Steelers as high as 22. Because ironically, the Jets are 24, right? So, and we know the Jets are terrible. So, do you think those rankings of the three rosters in the division one first are fair? Uh, and do you think the 22nd is about right for the Steelers. That's it's tough. I I I think the division rankings are right. Um, that's not going to be a popular consensus among this audience. I I, I understand that, but uh, Cleveland is stacked. Um, if Watson is in there, and I agree with you, I I think they're going under the assumption that he will be. Um, <clears throat> that is obviously not even close to set in stone. You're you're looking at at least half the season he's going to be out. But uh, Cleveland is a very very good team. Uh, on an individual basis. We'll, we'll see what, what happens with them uh, the rest of the way, but they're, they're number one in the division for sure. Cincinnati, uh, I would give them the edge over Baltimore for sure, just simply because they have a quarterback that um, is coming into his own uh, as, as a, a real um, all angles, all throws, all downs threat, uh, along with the best receiver in the division, the best trio of receivers in the division. And a defense that nearly won them a Super Bowl last year. So it, Cincinnati being where they are, I definitely think is legitimate. And a very Over, good running back. And a very, and good, a very running good running back. back. <laughs> yes. Um, it, putting that together, Baltimore uh, falling in third behind that seems definitely fair. Um, 12 overall, I think, is interesting for them. I'm not sure they're uh, they're that good. Um They've they've got a lot of new pieces coming in. We'll we'll see how Baltimore brings all of that together. I would have a, a world of confidence in John Harbaugh to be able to navigate through uh, a new center and a new free safety. That that's not anything to sneeze at. You, you can't just expect a high level results uh, immediately from rookies like that. But Baltimore, they're they're always a good team. I, I'm not sure this is the most talented Baltimore team we've seen. This is still a team that, unlike anybody else in the NFL can't seem to evaluate the wide receiver position to save their lives. I'm not sure what they're trying to do there. Um, I didn't think that Hollywood Brown was all that great anyway, but they, they don't have two of them. They've got a second year guy, Rashad Bateman, one of my favorite players in college coming into the draft last year, uh, who has not proven himself to this point. I think he can be a reliable target for him. They don't have a big play guy catching the ball either. So I, I'm not sure uh, how good Baltimore will really be, uh, offensively, we'll have to see uh, how that comes together. And yeah, I mean, really process of elimination. I think the Steelers are are behind the rest of them when it comes to that. As far as ranking the entire league, I mean that that's a that's a feat. Um, we do things like that on uh, the the NFL Wire Network on USA Today uh, Sports Media Group, and they're not the easiest tasks in the world to do. So 
claiming accuracy, I think, is beside the point. It's really discussion more than anything. When you get into numbers like that across the entire league, it's really hard uh, to evaluate all of those things. They don't all set up the same way. They're not all the same teams. A lot of them have, like I mentioned with Baltimore, um, new parts coming in. Pittsburgh, I would say, is is one of those. But the reality is Pittsburgh does not have a, a proven quarterback and teams that don't have proven quarterbacks tend to not have very good rosters. That's just the way it is. Yep. Um, I, I I can't say that it's unfair where we sit right now. I, I don't think, well, it's, how about this? It's definitely not going to be how the teams are going to rank at the end of the year. It never is. But Pittsburgh, where they are right now, and I, I really like Pittsburgh's defense. I, I think they're getting a bit underrated uh, as far as what they're going to collectively be able to do with all the moves that they've made. I think the ranking more or less is fair. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up being, you know, somewhere ranked around that. Would, that would be, what, the 10th, 11th, 12th pick in the draft, something like that. It wouldn't surprise me if they ended up there, but I, I don't think that they will. They'll play above what you'd think that they would be um, in, in June and July. I think they'll be better than that, but I, I definitely think they trail the three teams in the division. Yeah, I think I think their coaching advantage will get them a win that you don't expect, like last year against Buffalo. Yep. And then they'll get a they'll get a bounce or two where they get dominated by Tennessee, like in all statistical categories except for turnovers, and they win the game. They'll, they'll get a couple of games like that. Let me ask you. They also included in this article rankings, number rankings. And I don't know if they got this from PFF. This might have been ESPN um, stats and information. They, they have their, their own, own rankings. Thing. Yeah, they have their own rankings. Um, and who do you think was the highest rated Steeler on the roster? Highest rated Steeler on the roster. Um, is this based on last year? Yes, based on last year. Outside of Outside of special teams players. Last year, I'd say Cam. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Cam. You're right on. Cam was the highest rated player at 90.8. So we're going to just make that 91. Surprisingly, TJ Watt was rated at 89.6. So we'll. Yeah, make I was going to say they'd, they'd be close. Um, Cam, Cam just had some monster games over the first 10, 11, 12 games. Watt. I understand how many sacks Watt got and why in, in, in that ranking, if we look at that as gospel, Watt didn't finish far off of him, but it, it didn't stand out as much and as consistently as Cam did. Um, Cam, I think he wore down by the end of the year. I don't think he was playing particularly well at the end, but for it, it, I said this during the show last year when we were doing it, Lance, I, I legitimately thought Cam Hayward was a defensive player of the year for the first half of the season. I, I don't think anybody in the league played better than he did uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So put all that together. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, they're definitely, how about this? They are absolutely and without question, the Steelers two best players um, from last year. Absolutely. Um, no doubt in my mind, that's the case. There are some other decent players there. I don't think Minka played particularly well. There are a lot of reasons for that, but uh, those two are absolutely their two best players. I think snap to snap Cam Hayward's the best player. I mean, I, I mean, and, and that might be, I don't know if that's a hot take. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. controversial. Can be. Uh, I think, I, I think it's just the nature of pass rushers 
They're, yeah, they're, that's, they're, that's fair. You know, there are a lot of plays where pass rushers just have no impact. I mean, they're just they're just mm-hmm. getting stoned. You know, pass rushing is like Greg Luzinski back in the day for the Phillies. I mean, the guy hit 48 home runs or whatever. Him <laughs> struck and Mike out Schmidt, 200 you know, times. But he struck out 225 <laughs> times, right? But all you're going to remember is that he hit 240, yep. hit 48 home runs, and had 135 RBIs. Whereas, well, how about this? Wait, what would happen to a pass rusher when they play the Steelers? Quarterback gets rid of the ball in less yes. than two seconds. They're not going to make an impact on the game. Um, and a lot of teams, against a lot of teams, the Steelers would do just that. I think Seattle is a great example of uh, Watt versus Cam as far as the the height of one and kind of the height and the basement of another. Watt made a play in the first series of that game and then did nothing for the rest of the game until overtime when he just decided he didn't want to, to be on the field anymore. So we got two sacks and two plays and forced a fumble. And yes, let's go. Watt was the highlight of that game, but Cam was better overall by right. a, a healthy margin in my opinion it's just right. it, it it's totally it's totally perspective you know it, yeah. it, it really yeah. just depends on how you want to look at it uh what is the more impact the impactful player yeah cam i, I think is the better player as you said right. snap to snap yeah snap to snap you know cam is like uh milk and good flour uh and a cake you know you need good eggs good milk good flour uh, TJ is the icing. <laughs> TJ is the icing on a red velvet cake. If you don't not put the, the vanilla, icing, not the vanilla you know, icing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you don't put that red velvet cream cheese frosting on a red velvet cake, it's just the chocolate cake that's red. I mean, that's I what hate, TJ wanted. Red velvet cake. Red, I hate you know, red velvet cake. I'm not a red velvet overrated cake fan. dessert there I, is. I, I, I agree. But that cream cheese frosting, though, put that on like pumpkin bars. Oh, man. Oh, I'll I, crush I, that whole pan. Let's get I go your like diabetic when it comes to that. Let's get your dessert power rankings. We're doing this next. Yes, week. dessert power rankings next week. Let's get your thoughts in the chat. Red velvet cake, overrated or underrated? Or let's know. Just the question is: Is red velvet cake overrated? I think red velvet cake is kind of overrated. Honestly, I I agree with you. I don't Neil. get the hype. I don't get the hype at all. Like, why would you choose this over regular chocolate cake? Like, why, why does you choose that red? over pound cake? I mean, pound yeah, cake any, is any you cake, know, really lemon pound cake is 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 is. is I like crust though. I'm a pie guy. But let's jump into mm. another mm, ranking. Uh, and this was rankings given by Ted Wynn, the outstanding uh, guy that writes for the Athletic. Ted, I've been following Ted Wynn for years. He used to do stuff with the Raiders years ago, Brilliant. breaking down a lot of film. Ted Wynn is great. I don't even. I, I think Ted Wynn probably should be coaching. Uh, uh German chocolate cake is overrated. Absolutely. But I did used to eat Coconut, German chocolate cake stuff in there um, at Neldum's, which was great. I, I German chocolate cake, the right German chocolate cake is is uh uh <laughs> Corey Hatcher. Poor Corey. It's it's I my wife makes a great well vet great red velvet cake, but it's not on my top ten. Uh hopefully she doesn't listen to the show, Corey. Well, here's she won't an interesting be getting more slices. If, if you have ten cakes that are worthy of inclusion on that list and your wife makes one that isn't in there. I can't tell if you eat a, a truckload of cakes that I've never heard of before, or your wife never stops baking, but it seems like that could be a problem that gets fixed. Tell her you don't like red velvet cake. <laughs> yeah. You have a top 10. It doesn't even enter the top 10. Why is it being made? Yes. Yes. Corey. I think she's making wow. red velvet Corey, for she herself. Care about you? Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, Corey, man, tell her to make a lemon pound cake. Come on now. Or a caramel cake. <laughs> that sounds good. Or lemon something. Lemon pound cake. Lemon pound cake. Come on, man. 
Come on, let's, man. She, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get off of King. Uh, <laughs> so, not Ted hungry at Wynn, all right now. Ted Wynn <laughs> rated the Steelers' offensive skill players as the 10th best in the National Football League. Now, <clears throat> his rankings <clears throat> were he gave this color scheme. So, pink was elite. Blue was very good. Green was an above-average starter, and gray was average. And for the Steelers, he has a black category because he could not rank Pickens. So not surprisingly, the Steelers had no pink skill players. And he excluded the quarterback, right? He excluded the quarterback. So That's a good thing. And so (laughs) Safely say that's not pink either. Right. So he rated Chase Claypool – as green, an above-average starter. Deontay Johnson was blue, very good. Pickens was black, no ranking. Fryermuth was green, an above-average starter. And Najee Harris was blue, very good. So, So looking at these players, I would disagree with him in one particular, for one particular player. I would make Chase Claypool as average, I think his physical dimensions are blue, are very good, but his performance on the field is average. I agree with Deontay Johnson as blue. I would make Pat Fryermuth gray as well. I don't think Pat Fryermuth did anything to for me to think that he's an above-average starter because to me, yeah. if you're an above-average starter, if your play – incrementally you, gets you a have little to have bit better done more than what you have to have did. done more right so it's like really do anything like if you're an above average player starter, yeah like if you get a little bit better you're probably teetering on pro bowl <clears throat> right so i don't think he's there Najee, he gave Najee a very good i would i would give Najee a green above average i don't think Najee is very yeah. good so i think he has a little bit wrong I don't know if the Steelers' skill group, in my opinion, is 10. When I say in my head, Claypool, Johnson, Pickens, Firemuth, Harris, it's not followed by, oh, my. It's followed by, oh, no. So more okay for me. Yeah, like, oh, really? So Okay, let's, let's look at it like this. I don't think Wynn is looking at this as much based on what we've seen. And as more, it, it, he's looking at it more from the perspective of what they could be, what he expects them to be. If that's the case, okay, I still think that's kind of high, but he can't possibly be looking at last season and coming up with that. There, there's no way you could tell me what you have seen of Chase Claypool, especially in 2020, suggested to you that that he's a higher than than average level player. He, he's not. There's just nothing about him that is, and there is nobody in the league that is getting more consistent afterburn from his combine measurements, not even the 40, not even, you know, a, 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 a epic performance or anything like that. His size and his speed, those things together, his web, his spider graph is still paying bills for him. Despite the fact he is a mediocre player, he shows mediocre footwork. He has mediocre hands he tracks a ball at a mediocre level. His average defined, in my opinion. He barely made plays last year. I, I'm not saying that he's garbage and they should get rid of him. And I'm not even bringing up the Vikings fiasco. 
I'm talking very simply about his production on the field is not good. It just isn't. I mean, it, you know, again, not a bum, but he's not a high level player. He's not somebody that you should highlight more than anybody else within this offense. Najee and Frymuth were rookies. Okay. If we want to project out their careers, and there are people I have legitimately seen comparing Frymuth after a year in the NFL to Travis Kelsey, which is laughable, um, it, offensive to Travis Kelsey. Nothing we have seen of Frymuth at this point suggests he is that guy. Doesn't mean he's garbage, just means he's he's not at that level where he is today. If Ted thinks he's going to be, okay. Deontay is the one who I think is, is fairly ranked in all of that. I, I'm okay with where Deontay is. I think Deontay will have another good season. I think he's going to get paid high level, whether that's with the Steelers or elsewhere. He's going to get paid on that. The one to watch, Lance, is Pickens. That's He's got the most upside of anybody on that list by far. And I, I think he was the best college player skill-wise, the most translatable skill from college into the NFL among that group. Depending on how they use him, depending on how he takes to the offense and, and, and what he is showing everybody, I think he might end up being the, the the second most targeted guy on the Steelers. That doesn't mean that he's going to be, but he's going to be a playmaker, if nothing else. They're going to try to get him the ball deeper down the field. He can be the deep option that Claypool just hasn't been and maybe even move him out of the way toward the end of the season. Let's see how it develops. So Pickens has way more ability as a wide receiver than Claypool does. And really, I'm, I'm excited to watch him more than anything else. Who do you think was the number one group that he had in the National Football League? Oh, man. there's Skill groups are just loaded nowadays. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's it, it's a skill group in the in the AFC North. Cincinnati would be probably my yes. guess, or Cleveland, depending on Watson. Or, yeah. Well, no, I can't say that. Probably yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah, Cincinnati number one. He had Jamar That's Chase fair. as a pink-level player, which Chase, means he's elite. Jamar Chase is so good. And <laughs> then he had, unbelievable and then he had Higgins, Boyd, and Joe mm -hmm. Mixon as guys in blue, which is very good. Um, that's fair. I'm good with so, that. you know, when you have a skill group and that's why when you're comparing rosters, that's why the Steelers roster is 22nd and the yeah. Bengals roster yeah. is sixth is that the Bengals have on offense Higgins, Chase, Boyd, Mixon. You have four guys on offense with Burrow that can wreck you if you're not playing good defense. You can give up for a 40 burger quick twice. Twice, and twice. they gave up two forty burgers twice. I mean, combined score of those two games was what nine hundred and sixty-eight to seven or something <laughs> 8, like that. Thousand to twenty-six, and I had never to competed to against that team. Never <laughs> stopped to, those guys. They absolutely destroyed them. Uh, let's see who else do they have in terms of? They have Miami. He has Miami as the number two skill group. Hmm. Um, interesting. Interesting enough, he has San Francisco as the number four skill group. He, you know, he has them with three pink players in Debo, Kittle, and Juszczyk. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, when you look at some of these rosters, I mean, it, it's just some of these rosters in the National Football League ha are laughably good on the offensive side of football with dudes, with studs. But let's jump into the main topic of the program, and I'm sorry that we're getting into it 43 minutes in. And that is there was a report out there that Mike Tomlin is giving up play calling duties. The first thing I want to ask you, 
Neil, first thing I want to do is demystify play calling. Because I think there is a thought that when you call plays, there's this magic crystal ball that you're just pulling plays out of the ethos and here's the play, here's the play, here's the play. And and, and I think what I think is lost is that does it make a difference? Answer this question to me. If you are instrumental in building the plan, on game day, how much does it matter who's actually calling the plays? I think that question is probably answered on a team-to-team basis and maybe even within um, side of the ball from team to team. Um, I don't feel, and this is my experience talking to a lot of these people, play calling is definitely the, the, the big swing and dick position for a coach. It's what pays. You have the responsibility. You've got the capital. But putting together the plan for the game is really more of what a coordinator is doing. When you have, say, a 600-page playbook, you are not flipping through that during a game and calling something. You're not pushing B and down together to call a play either. (laughs) So many things are fluid. And nowadays, in particular, with the amount of receivers who are on the field, the amount of sub-packages that come into it, the amount of blended defenses that we see, more than anything, plays are changing and evolving as the play goes on. If you start with the offense, um, I I just had a long conversation with a, a colleague of mine yesterday about this. The offensive coordinator of a team with a good veteran group, the quarterback who gets it, an offensive line that has experience playing together within the system they're in, they're going to the huddle with probably the coordinators calling in three plays. Yeah, three plays. That's what I've always so heard, three. They're calling a play, but the quarterback is the one really calling it. At the line, quarterback is going to survey what's going on, and they're going to make a call based on that. And a lot of times that call is a slight check to something, um, or it, it's, it's an option route, or this guy is going to sit back or go hot or something like that. They're adding in variations, and it's those variations that make an offense go nowadays. You know, it's not 32 dive, you know, 33 dive. It's not, you know, 1960s football. They're doing so many different things. A quarterback is, they're, they're, they're moving the pieces around, and the general construct of what they're looking at is based more on the personnel that they anticipate they're going against. So the coordinator is making a call after having watched the sideline to see what defensive players are coming out, being told by spotters in their ear that they they usually have a guy that indicates this package is on the field. So if they tell him 56, they know that they're going to be a nickel. So the coordinator is thinking over the nickel package plays that they put together. That's what those laminate sheets are. They go into a game with maybe like 75 plays that they've scripted, that they've gone over. If they have to dip into something else, they will. And it's usually something they've run a bunch during the season, but they're not using the entire playbook. And most of it is going to change when they're at the line of scrimmage anyway. Calling the play, yes, it's important to know what you have. It's important to know what you're capable of. 
But all of that is stuff that is done during the week. That's what they practice. Okay. That, that is what football practice is in the NFL. They are going over their scripted plays on the defensive side. You don't get the benefit as much. Um, typically the, the, the offensive side is, is putting their guys onto the field first defense is sort of responding to that on defense. You're trying to match up as best you can, but you have to worry about no huddle. That's a big thing nowadays. Peyton Manning made a thing of this. The Ravens begged Joe Flacco to understand these concepts well enough and never really did. You go into no huddle, that means the defense can't substitute. They don't have the opportunity to do that, so you're keeping that package on the field. Defensively, that means you have to prepare to get no huddled by a lot of teams. So you have to be versatile. And within that versatility, you're keeping the same players with different assignments in different packages. So if you have the the, the infamous <clears throat> hybrid uh, linebacker safety that the Steelers have have you know been killing themselves to find over the last decade, you're able to go big or small depending on uh, what the offense has. Calling that in the heat of the moment, there is absolutely a skill to it. I don't want to act like there isn't, but. It is not nearly as important as knowing that the personnel on the other side, who they have, what they're going to do, prepare yourself to be balanced as well as coverage heavy or tough against the run. You know the down and distance. You can call that out there. But nowadays, you know, third and two is, is still a passing down. So you can't just go jumbo when you're in short yardage. They can throw out of that now. <clears throat> you have to know your people. You have to know. Uh, the, the the opponent's personnel and what they're doing. And you have to prepare your team to adjust to what they're doing. That is done during the week, not on game day. So calling the plays themselves, honestly, Lance, and I'm sorry, I've rambled way too long on this. No, no, I think Terrell you're... Austin's going to call the plays because that was probably part of what Terrell Austin needed to be the defensive coordinator. He told right. him, I've got other opportunities. I want to call plays. If you hire me, I'm going to call plays. If you, if, if Tomlin's going to do it, no, thanks. I, I'll, I'll continue in this role. If you want to get rid of me, fine, whatever. They want that because, frankly, that's how you get head coaching jobs. You need to be able right. to say you called the plays. Whether that's right or not is is irrelevant because it all comes down to the owner at that point of, of who it, they want. And you and know he, as well as I do, the issue that Terrell Austin has as far as becoming a, a head coach in the NFL right. is not going to be helped if he's not calling plays. So here's the, here's the interesting thing about calling plays because it was interesting. I was listening to the Arthur Moat show and, and I think that I forget which linebacker they had on is that in a press conference and Tomlin doesn't necessarily do it. A coach can allude to the fact that he's calling the plays and he might not actually be calling yep. the plays. Yeah, so, a coach can say whatever the hell he so, wants. <laughs> so a coach can say whatever they want, and if it doesn't go well, like a coach can take credit or not. He can shield you for credit from credit. Or, I mean, he can shield you from criticism, or he can take your credit. Either way, and there's not much mm -hmm. you can do because mm – -hmm. I'll you know, bet Tomlin does both, to be honest. You know, and you only have one day to speak, I think, if you're a coordinator, yep. right? Thursdays they, for the Steelers. And they don't have to <laughs> and they don't have to make you available. Let me jump into I think they also don't really... speak after games, is the big yes, point and that, they, that and Moats they don't was speak making. After the games. head coach is the only coach who speaks after games. Let me let me jump into some great comments from Corey Hatcher, and I want you to address them. I'm gonna read the first three because it sounds like Corey is a, is, a, is a high school coach, and he says primary play calling duties typically is a collaborative effort. He said you get input coming from multiple sources. Yep. As a matter of fact, even at high school, 
we might call a play, but there are so many adjustments that change it. And that's the stuff you teach. That's what you're coaching, really. So you have a base. You have it, – it's – I'm not going to come up with a very good example, but 3-4 eagle. Uh, that, that's what the Steelers used to call back in the day. That was their, their 60 base was their, their base look. This is what they're in. Their assignments then depend on what another team is doing, which is as simple as this guy lines up here versus there. That's where the linebacker goes. Those are all individual checks that they make. That's not a play. So it really, you're calling out a coverage. You're calling out an alignment. And from there, um, your players need to know what the opponent is doing uh, to determine what their assignment is on that play. On defense, it, on offense, it's about coordination. On defense, it's about communication. You have to talk to one another on defense so everybody knows what everyone else is going to be doing. The best defenses do that better than anybody else. It's not a play-calling thing. It, it's how you structure um, what your defense is and how you go about coaching the players to know what their specific assignments are. <clears throat> and Corey said, yes, he's a high school football coach in NorCal. In the chat, Corey, I'm in NorCal. What, what, what high, I'm interested to hear what high school you coach at, uh, Corey. Also, the other thing Corey wrote was, defensively, we have built-in adjustments to change the front, the coverage, blitzes, and line slants. And that's, that's all based on offensive alignment, right, Corey? Because you you you're going to change based on what they're doing. You don't know if they're going to come out with some weird thing that you haven't seen before. But if you know your discipline, you know where your gap is, you know what your responsibility is within the structure of what is called, you adjust to it. That's defensive football. You have to know what the opponent is doing. And Corey, it's always a reaction. Here's the other thing. The last thing mm -hmm. I want I want to say before we go ahead and conclude this show. And he said formation, et cetera. So he agreed with you is that here's the one thing I think we've, I don't know if we've missed, but we just have not said is you need smart ass players. Yep. <laughs> you need really smart ass something players. That's just, it, something that isn't discussed because it is not as measurable as you think yes, that it would be. Exactly. It's really hard to say the Wonderlick test doesn't do it. it it's something totally different. If you know football, and this comes down to the linebacker position, and this is why the Steelers invest big money in inside linebackers. They have a certain level of football knowledge that they want, and they will pay for the guy that might not be as athletic, and they'll put them out there uh, because they know what's going on, and they can line everybody up. They know where everybody should go. You see them coming over, smacking one dude on the, the right hip to get him to move over a gap. The inside linebacker, the middle linebacker, you're – tends to be the, the, the captain of your defense for that reason. They know everything that's going on, and it's invaluable. You can't play with a stupid player at, at linebacker. Thank you, Devin Bush. You saw and, that last year. And this is why calling the plays yes is important. Preparing your football team during the week to adjust on the fly is even more important, particularly on the defensive side of football. You have to be very intelligent. You have to read your keys. You have to be able to adjust. And guys have to be on the same page, snap in, snap out, to know what's going on. That's why when you watch football games, particularly with bad teams, you see a shitload of blown assignments. You see a bunch of blown assignments, particularly on big plays. I mean, you a look lot back, of times. The Steelers in 2013 were a great example of that. And with all due respect to, to Larry Foote, Larry Foote, took over that job from James Ferrier that year. And James Ferrier is legitimately one of the best linebackers the Steelers have ever had. One of the most underrated players they ever had. 
we don't give that guy enough credit for how good he was, how smart he was. It was a huge loss. Foot didn't get everything yet. They had so many blown run fills, um, basic assignments up front. They, they gave up a 40-plus yard run every game, and this was a team that didn't give up 100 yards rushing for like three straight years prior to that. They didn't have that, that level of coordination. That's why they went out and got Shazier, and then they – cut foot the next year which was kind of a surprise because like hey, you had all this investment in him now he's gone he's still bitter about that go ask him but it, it's you need to have smarts to do all of that and a lot of it is you have, you have to set up uh your your run defense the gaps need to be covered and there were plenty of times that season the gaps simply weren't covered the quarterback looks at it sees it well we'll just change this then <laughs> give the ball to that guy he's gonna go for 40 yards untouched yeah so i think again you know not to say play calling isn't important because it is and there's a skill there's a nuance to it definitely for sure and it's important just the fact from what you said that play calling is the easiest thing to falsely incorrectly identify which in turn makes guys seem like wonderkins or dummies or whatever because the one thing that you do not know is the play call be, could be right the execution is terrible Guy blows an assignment. You've got it called dead on. You know exactly what's coming. You've got the right call. Guy does the wrong thing. Look, Corey, Corey's a coach. I'm sure there are other coaches out here that are listening. What's, what, one thing that you will always hear coaches say that just doesn't ever really seem to be understood the way that it should be, call wasn't played. The, the, the call was not made to fail. Okay? Yeah. It, it, you know that <laughs> seems stupid? They didn't call it because it was a bad play call. They It, it didn't work. It didn't get executed. And they're in, in a passive way blaming the players. But at the same time, players play. Coaches coach, okay? If the players were perfect, you know, it you have a, a probably a 0-0 tie every game. You know, it, it's not the point. You have to execute what's called. And the players have to trust in the coaches to be able to do that. Offensively, I feel this. I'm not sure if, if every coach agrees with me on this. And probably at the high school level, this isn't as relevant at the pro level, though, offensive offensive play calling is more uh, – it, it, it's more of the function uh, of the success of the offense than defensive play calling is. I'm not trying to minimize it. I just mean defense the, – the, the, the basic task of defensive football is reacting. You have to react to what's going on. Yes, you want to attack as well but you are reacting to a route that's run. You are reacting to the drop yes. of a quarterback. Yes. You have to react to that because you don't know. Offense knows what it's doing. They have a specific plan based on what you're doing, so they are the ones who are proactive. They're attacking you. This is why it's called offense versus defense. So the, the play calling piece of it, while in my opinion, the most important part is always reviewing the tape, knowing your opponent, knowing your own personnel, and teaching uh, coaching what you want to do calling it is a byproduct of that it is very very important but the play calling to me represents a long train of, of work that went into it and I, I think the value of calling a play is more important on the offensive side than defense because defense is going to adjust based on what the offense is showing and then what the offense is doing match yeah, zone agree. under Dick LeBeau is a great example of that match zone basically means you're playing in zone unless guys do certain things, and you might take them in man. One number one rule of quarterback of cornerbacks, especially in the NFL, 
if you're on the outside and the guy, the, the receiver comes off the line and takes you outside, you're staying with him. There's no zone for that. Okay. You don't just drop off while a guy's streaking down the field because it's not in your zone anymore. You are in man until he breaks. Then you go into a zone. That's match zone defense. So you are constantly reacting to what the opponent is doing. And calling that is not as important as understanding when you need to do it, which is completely up to the personnel and the skill of the other team. Here's a funny thing, too, is because as we conclude the show, it won't matter one way or another for Steeler fans. If the Steeler defense goes out and gets hammered, it'll be Tomlin calling the plays anyway. Ironically, (laughs) Brian Flores, his first game, for example, first two games in the NFL. Um, I think he gave up 100 in back-to-back weeks. The first one, I think, was to Arizona, and the second one was to Baltimore. Their defense got completely destroyed, and they looked like they had absolutely no clue what was going on. Um, Yes, Flores was calling the plays, but, you know, new coach, sometimes you got to work some things out. Didn't look real good for him early on, and then he traded Minka on top of that. So a rough start to to Flores' career in Miami. Don't think he should have been fired. In fact, he shouldn't have been. If he rebounded from where he was to, to where he finished, that's pretty impressive. You got to like that. But it, it's not always about the play call. It's about understanding what is called and what needs to be done. And I think Flores had kind of a, a rough indoctrination in the NFL. But with that, we're going to get out and, and conclude the show. And it seems like clearly in the chat that uh, Red Velvet Cake is definitely uh, overrated. And we're going to it just talk seems about like a, it. It just seems like something that it, it's gilded, you know. It, it's made to be <laughs> fancy for no reason at all, but everyone thinks it's like high level. It's like it's not. Yeah, it's this southern. It's the Baltimore um, it's, Ravens of cake. It's the it's this southern thing that got you know had this mystique in and of itself. Uh, but with that, I hope everybody brings in the July Fourth weekend. Uh, very safely. Thank you, Claude, for hopping onto the program. Claude, make sure you like and subscribe. Big up to Claude. Known Claude for years. Saw him recently, a couple of weeks ago. Good to see him again. Glad to see when guys are healthy and having fun and enjoying their lives. So it's great. It was great to see Claude. Um, but also, everybody bringing the 4th of July weekend very well. Be safe. Eat a ton of desserts. Come back with your list of best cakes. We want top five <laughs> best cakes. Uh, we definitely want fat top five best cakes. I listed some of mine. Uh, lemon pound cake, caramel cake. I do like German chocolate cake. Yellow uh, cake, chocolate frosting. Yellow Basic. chocolate. Vanilla yellow cake, cake vanilla frosting. Exactly. Very yellow good. cake, chocolate frosting, the Duncan Hines box. Like, but I like, Yeah, exactly. Like fresh out of the oven. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But I like scratch yes. cakes because my wife does make cakes from scratch. So the oh, texture, yes. when you start eating scratch cakes, you know, box cakes are a little bit light. They, they don't taste as good. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Yellow totally. cake, chocolate cake is awesome. Seven up cake is good. Sakatumi cake. I mean, all those I cakes. Seven up cake in a long time. All That's those cakes are great. Sort of thing. Uh, but anyway, we're going to stop talking about cake. We're going to let you go eat some cake. <laughs> you go eat some cake. We're going to let you go eat Get some out of here. cake. And anyway, we're out of here. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.